The Cal Halbert Podcast. Well, I'm very pleased to say that on the show today on the Cal Halbert Podcast, I've got the one, the only, the amazingly talented, the man of a million voices, Jim Meskimen. Hi, Jim. Hello, Cal. How are you? <laughs> I'm very well, thank you. <laughs> you say I'm the one and only, but believe it or not, there are several Jim Meskimens in the world, but I'm the only one that I know of that's in the show business. Tell me a little bit about this, because obviously COVID's been slightly different in the United States to us. How were your lockdowns and things like that? Yes, well, you know, the virus, of course, pays close attention to municipal rules and uh, political, you know, temperature. So uh, (laughs) it's quite a lot of of variety, even from week to week or border to border. So you can leave Los Angeles, as I plan to do a little later today. And it's apparently very, very uh, gentle kind of uh, thing happening in the Southland. But, you know, yeah, it's been just... uh, pretty crazy keeping up with all of it and in my business i luckily i do a lot of voice work in from my booth i do a lot of i do colonel sanders for the uh, kfc brand i don't know if you get that out there in uh, uh, england where you are but uh, around here there's uh, quite a lot of kfc work goes on so i've been doing that all from home and uh, as well as animation video games and audiobooks which i did a ton of during the lockdowns wow. which was you know n- nice work to have yeah uh, but in the film and television world, it's been a whole nother story. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we best know you, Jim, as a comedian, as an impressionist, as an actor, as a voice artist. So had you always wanted to be in show business? You know, I started off uh, wanting to be an artist. I drew pictures and I wanted to be to learn how to paint and uh, I'd like to make things. And uh, I, I've kept those those practices kind of going as I got into show business. In fact, I earned my living uh as when i went to new york to become an actor i made a living as an illustrator cartoonist and i designed cartoon characters wow for the original thundercats show i don't know if you got that over there yeah so i was this main guy there for about a year doing all their weapons and vehicles and guest guest stars and uh it was a very unusual uh job and uh but as soon as i could i i knew i had enough understanding of where my where my heart lay i got into improv and into commercials and into you know every other kind of entertainment that i could foist myself onto (laughs) that's absolutely incredible (laughs) that's absolutely incredible so in in school were you the class clown were you the person that people came looking to i was exactly the same exactly the same i'm a stand-up and impressionist over here in the uk and I was not the class clown at all. I would sit there and judge the people that were that were trying yeah, to be funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Heavy on the judgment. And did you draw also? Are you a cartoonist? Because there are many of us that I, do both. I, I'm not a very good cartoonist. I, I, I could think of the ideas of what sort of things I'd want, but I could never translate it to paper. I, I, I don't think that the wiring was right between brain and hand for me. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> they're very. Some of those wires are pretty long. And uh, did you? Were you musical, or did you do a sports, or what else? What occupied your? your I time? was. I was sports. I was tennis mainly. Sports. Tennis was my oh. big thing. So, and that's where impressions first started coming in for me. Was was impersonating all the other tennis players and and, and wow, things like that's that. A- that was oh yeah yeah absolutely because i think my first mainstream impression that people would know was the the then prime minister tony blair who of course would smile quite a lot and yeah. even if he was you, saying, you resemble him quite a bit too yeah, when you do that yeah thanks you know 
Ah, great. Uh, so even though he was saying something absolutely horrible and insulting you, he was still smiling and still being yeah. quite happy about it. But then, so they they were the sort of impressions that I would go into, but I was heavily influenced through different sports. And so who who were your first impressions? Well, TV people and movie people, you know, uh, my mom is uh, was on Happy Days, she, uh, that series, the ABC hit series in the 70s, Happy Days. And so I, you know, we watched a lot of TV and I would do the Happy Days people and yeah. uh, uh, the Godfather and, uh, you, you know, just these, you know, I didn't have any goal. Maybe you didn't either of being an impressionist, particularly. I didn't want to go to Vegas and have a, a room and, you know, be a nightclub. Provider. I didn't know what any of that meant. I just knew that it was a fun activity to share with friends. And I just had a natural affinity for duplicating, you know, uh, somebody that I saw. And uh, it, it went back to very early age, you know, and, and part of it was mom because she was an actress and she would play with me in that way and we would duplicate accents and we would duplicate yeah. people yeah. and characters and it was a fun way to interact that's amazing yeah because you so we, were you on the set of happy days at all with, with your mom i was yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I as soon as i could i i visited you know and uh you know the happy days is such a different time a television yeah. show was allowed to kind of simmer and grow for a while and not be uh, you know a huge hit or or, or get struck off the rolls uh, quickly. So, you know, it was on for a couple of seasons before anyone really paid much attention to it. And then yeah. it did well enough to kind of go into high gear. But so I went uh, pretty early on when it was still a single camera show and, uh, you know, met the guys. And I've just uh, finished reading Ron Howard's uh, <laughs> memoir. And, uh, it's a terrific. I, if, if your audience has not read it yet, I really highly recommend it. It's called... It's called The Boys, and it's about him and his brother Clint. And um, who, I know I know the whole family, obviously. And I, I met Ron when he, he was probably about twenty, or maybe maybe even younger. He might have been nineteen. And uh, and I met Henry Winkler and and all those guys. And you know, it was just a. I, I remember going to going to high school. You know, after after the show had been on for a while, and was a hit. I, I we would watch it on Tuesday night. I go to high school, and me and my pals we would pretend to be the Happy Days people and just kind of joke about it. And uh, it was just it was just a fun way to communicate and play. Yeah, I'm interested in playing. You know, I, I I like games too, and I like tennis actually. But I I I do like comedy games and word games. That's why I like improv so much. I think yeah. it's a, there's a way to interact with people where kind of everybody kind of wins you know in entertainment it's not like there's somebody who's just been destroyed and you're like yes i won and you have lost <laughs> although there are there are schools of improv like that but i don't kind of you know they're not for me i like the ones where everybody has a great time and and we've all created something inventive and, and glorious together it's very interesting how popular improv is in the States because it's not a huge thing over here. We, we have, Obviously, we had Whose Line Is It Anyway here that was on mainstream TV. But in terms of like improv clubs and things in the UK, it's not as big a thing as it is in the States. Yeah, right. I'm surprised. I, I assumed that it was because, I, you know, I was aware of Whose Line uh, back in the 80s and I was a guest on it, uh, the British version, yep. myself and my friend Christopher Smith several times when they came to New York. And I just assumed that they had the same explosion out your way that they did here. I mean, now every college has improv groups and, uh, you know, there are fewer clubs right now, but I mean, it's, it really exploded. When I was in New York, there were, you know, a handful of them and they were quite different kind of 
schools and quite different kind of methods, but they, they all basically came from the same place. Yeah. Uh, but I'm surprised that, that Britain hasn't, uh, it hasn't exploded so much there. You're also witty. I guess it's not important to focus that wit. It's just, I think it's because first. of where, where stand-up came from in the UK was it was the working men's clubs and stuff like that. And it was, uh. it was always seen just a, a, a bloke stood on stage talking about mother-in-law jokes. And that's all it was right. for so long. And then Whose yeah. Line Is It Anyway was a completely different thing that most people hadn't seen. And it became right. a very, very popular show. Um, and the tours that it did were always very popular. But in terms of... Um, improv nights or improv comedy club setting up didn't really have that effect huh that's really interesting yeah that's very interesting so at what point jim did you realize that you could do all these impressions it was great and you actually thought oh hang on i could make a job out of this well when it when it became uh, necessary to make some money gosh you know I lived in New York, and when I came to New York, I literally had, you know, a few hundred dollars. I mean, I, I, I knew a very few people. I was in my early 20s, and I was going to uh, – and I did earn a living as an illustrator and cartoonist, mm -hmm. as I mentioned before. But uh, I, I desperately wanted to do more performing, and I got a job because uh, I, I knew – I thought, you know, I'm, I, I've never worked in the voice area, but I know a little bit about it. I know my voice, I know my uh, strengths, and I, I know that I'm kind of above the normal in terms of being able to duplicate things and, and perform that way. Yeah. So I thought, you know, this could be, I just had some confidence. Maybe it was misplaced, but for whatever reason, <laughs> I decided to pursue it. And so I would like just record, you know, in, back then we had phone machines where, you know, for 15 seconds on a little cassette tape, you'd get your outgoing message. And I would compose these little theatrical moments and voices and announcers and people saying things. And I make a little show and I, specifically to attract attention to my ability to do that kind of thing. And then I made demo tapes and tried to get an agent and worked very hard to to get into radio and TV voiceovers. And it took me a couple of years of real hard slogging, but I, I always had that confidence, like, you know what? I, I think I got this. I yeah. think, I think I, and indeed I got, I got into pretty top company, you know, uh, of, of, of working with the top professionals, as I say, within probably about two or three years. That's amazing. Which, that, that's an incredible trajectory that. as well. Well, yeah, I mean, there are steeper climbs, but I, I, I was getting started in New York. I was getting started, you know, finding my, my soulmate and uh, studying improv and doing other things. So there's a lot going, going on, uh, as there is with every 20-something. <laughs> so where do, you find, where do you find the voices that you decide to do? Because I, I, now, I suppose, I don't want to say I'm, woe is me, I, I, I'm knocking on 30 now. So I never really had that that fear of, oh, God, I've got to watch the, the TV, look at the TV channel, see who's on, who I want to learn and stuff. I, I've kind of always had uh, the, the YouTube star thing so I can look through and watch mm. anybody's voice that I want to. So You're lucky. You're lucky you got YouTube. I never had YouTube growing <laughs> up. So for me, this is a whole nother. Now I use it like a tool. It's like a toothbrush for me. Or, or, you know, something more utilitarian. I don't know who that is, but uh, <laughs> it just inspired me. 
I love the British accents, all of them. And I, I just think they're just so great. So I, I tell you, you ask where it comes from. And, and it's a question I get asked a lot. And, and I ask other impressions, too, because it is sort of this interesting magic trick. And I think it is something very, very personal. It's very close mm -hmm. to who I am as an individual. And I, I tell you, it's to me at this point, I know so much. I have so much experience with making sounds, yeah. so much experience with taking a piece of paper with words on it and turning it into some kind of music, you know, vocal music. I, 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 I know and I've observed observed many, many people and characters and people from all over the world and different ages and all that stuff. I'm very facile with it. So it really the spark that turns into action or turns into eventually, you know, goes from being an idea in my mind to being a performance that some someone can enjoy. Mm -hmm. That is as as ephemeral uh, or as light as a decision. Yeah. It's the decision. Now I'm going to be Sir Ian McKellen, you know, and it's not something that I need to write down on a piece of paper or even rehearse, you see. It is as, it's as light as that. And, and that, of course, takes a, a, a whole lot of practice. Mm -hmm. But like any good musician, like I, I was friends with um, the great jazz uh, pianist Chick Corea, wow. who passed away, unfortunately, last year. And Chick could just sit down and he would just sort of lay his hand on the keys <laughs> like you'd be putting a book on a table and music would come out. I mean, he, and he did it on purpose. He knew what he was doing. Yeah. He could control it perfectly. And there was like no barrier between him and this idea he just got of, you know, maybe a samba kind of thing here, you know. And he would make it and hammer it out with effort, zero effort. Yeah. That that's just it, it. That's amazing because I, I always found it very difficult to find voices that I'd want to do that would translate to stage. And politics is always the the, the obvious one that people would go for. But I right. found I was impersonating other impressionists, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. So you, sure. you'd you'd hear other people's version of. Tony Blair or Ronald Reagan or George W. Bush, Bill Clinton, whoever, and you would actually be impersonating somebody else's impersonation. Uh, have you ever yeah. come across that, uh, fallen into oh, that sure. trap? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, when I haven't studied something and I'm more familiar with uh, a secondhand version of it, yeah, it would be like someone who's never been to a museum before and they've yeah. just seen lots of photos on Google of Leonardo's work. And then then one day they wander into a museum and go, oh, oh, <laughs> I thought. You know, or or musically too. I mean, there's lots of times you hear, "Oh yeah, I've heard that guy on the radio. I've heard, oh, I've heard that song forever." And then you go and see them. Like Tom Jones is a great example, a countryman of yours, Tom Jones, uh, Welshman anyway, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was like, Tom Jones was coming to the Hollywood Bowl a few years ago, a couple of years ago with uh, Van Morrison. I was like, Tom Jones, I, I I I think I I know what I'm in for here. Yeah. And it'll be fun. It'll be a hoot. I mean, he's an old guy, and it'll be whatever. And I had this kind of idea. Boy, oh boy, was I wrong. When I got personally there in the same space as this man, I realized, oh no, I have no clue. This is a massive talent. <laughs> this is a, a lifer. You know, this is a guy who's in it for blood. And there's something very compelling. Also, he was extremely personable with the audience. Even though there's 17,000 people fit into the Hollywood Bowl, he was like you and me talking. Yeah. I mean, that's... 
the mark of a tremendous entertainer. Van Morrison, not so much. Van Morrison, I don't think he looked up and noticed that anybody was there. But I was really blown away by Tom Jones, who I hadn't really expected too much from. So how do we start talking about this? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Well, just the original, going to the original source. Like Rich Little is an American impressionist yeah. who in this country is kind of like the gold standard. Yeah. He's in his 80s now. He's still performing. And uh, but back in the 50s he and, and 60s, he was like the only person of quality on American television or in nightclubs that was doing this kind of work. Yeah. And he, I noticed, had the benefit of actually meeting eventually the, the people that he did uh, his best impressions of Jimmy Stewart, Orson Welles, Sinatra. And, and, you know, he met them. He hung with them. How much? I don't know. But you get an awful lot. And you know this, too, I'm sure you get an awful lot of data from actually meeting the being and being in the same space as that person. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you find that if you meet somebody new, the first thing you you work on, your first thing you notice of that person is their voice before anything else? No, not really. No. I mean, if I'm on the hunt for that, I am. But no, when I meet a person like you, for example, I, I, I'm very visually ori- oriented, actually. So I, I think I notice more things like uh, age and appearance and, and stuff like that. And then if I have to uh, study, like, you know, if it's an audition or an assignment where you got to, you, you know, you got to do this voice or come really close to it. Like I did Bill Clinton yesterday for a television show. I had to do Bill Clinton. Now, a lot of people do Bill Clinton and, and you know, he's very imitable uh, or he's not inimitable. In other words, to imitate the guy. But when you when you really study, like I had this, uh, they gave me a clip from the 1986 debate uh, um, with George Bush, and and you know it's a different time, and it's a different kind of a different kind of a feeling than even what I remembered. So I had to kind of constantly adjust and make changes, and so I'm listening with a very discerning ear to things like age. Yeah. Uh, how much projection he's using to communicate. Because there, in, in, in the case of a TV show or a movie, you're really trying to fool the audience pretty well. You're not just trying to infer. Like in a comedy show, you're like, you know, I, this is Arnold. Hey, how are you? I'm Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> There's a huge difference between that and, hi, this is Arnold. Listen, I want to make sure that you come down to California and talk, you know, and, which is a little more maybe realistic, right? Yeah. So, and I, I wind up doing a lot of very... Uh, particular uh, technically you know uh, accurate uh, um, depictions and things and that that again is also a field of my interest I'm interested I, I yeah. will spend the time like when I was doing I've done Colin Firth <laughs> other country <laughs> quite often for um, uh, trailers for films that he's involved in and um, so I've, I've listened quite a lot and I, it's easier for me to just sort of behave like Colin Firth, and then let the sound dribble out, if you will. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I presume you have this as well. If you're studying a particular person, do you morph into that person going around the house? Because if I was learning, when I was learning how to do Trump, for example, I'd be standing mm-hmm. there at the kettle making, I'm going to make a tea, a great tea. It's going to be a beautiful tea. It's not going to be a weak tea. It's going to be a strong tea. The greatest tea anyone has ever made, believe me. And you sit and it drives my partner insane. You know? Yeah, no, that's, that's that's a very good thing to do. That's what actors do. 
That's it's just acting. You know, we go around and we whatever it takes to embody and really kind of get get a, a, a we want to we want to inspire ourselves and, and realize I got this. I can turn it on and off. And the only way you do that is sometimes is like is like going, well, I, I think I better drill it, you know, be like a ballet dancer or a drummer or anything else. You're know, like, eh, you know, I'm, I, I think I'm going to be able to do it, but I, I'd like to kind of warm up. I like to kind of warm up. And then you discover things, too. You, you, like like you must have discovered a lot of things. It was the kettle of this greatest tea. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that with Trump, too, where I was like, all right, you know, and I get ideas and then I sometimes I just record them and make something out of them because yeah. it's like fun. Like I do a whole series of on my YouTube channel. I, I do Colonel Sanders phone calls that are, you know, found recordings of, uh, you know, David Hockney calling Colonel Sanders or uh, Marlon Brando calling. And this, and this phone conversation, I just go into the booth and I, rec I improvise it. I just make up one side, the other side, and then I edit it together so that they overlap a little bit. And I cut out some of those flubs and yeah. make, so make that, it into a know, natural phone call, basically. Yeah, yeah. I make it into an actual phone call and it, it makes me laugh. And, and it's but it is exactly that same exercise of like, Again, it's decision. I'm taking on the viewpoint of Colonel Sanders. Mm -hmm. You know, which is like this, fellow, I guess. <laughs> he would say something, I guess. And then I take on, a bit, you know, like David Hockney, for example, which I think a lot of you people know. And it's just different. The pacing is different. Uh, you know, what he talks about is different, frankly. Yeah, I, I see your meaning. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Do you know, it, it gets me thinking about these things where you say how you have to take into consideration people's uh, age and where their voice is and stuff. And often I find if you're looking at somebody's voice when they get older, their voice either goes further to the back of their throat or it goes deeper. Uh, and that's, hmm. that's what I found with certain voices. And there's certain ins that people have so for example your your bill clinton my in for the bill clinton was that hesitation of the now nah. that's all i ever had of as my in <laughs> that's, so that's so no, the start yeah, yeah no matter what i was gonna say i, I could say now nah, i'm gonna have a, yeah. uh, a soda you know whatever it was i would always start it with a now to get me in and right that's it you're when you're impersonating someone um, unlike what you were doing in that you're doing very accurate impressions you're creating a caricature of of what you're doing so nine times out of ten if you listen to someone impersonating someone say let's say i'm doing the prime minister uh boris johnson <laughs> we will be doing these things but in fact if anybody listening would say yes that's boris but in fact if you were to listen to boris he doesn't talk like that at all you know because you're just creating right. a caricature Right, it's a caricature, exactly. Well, come on, I like Joe Biden right now, uh, who is almost, uh, uh, you know, and c c come on for me is that way in uh, on Joe, because uh, look, he talks like that, right? And yeah, so, but he's that's, uh, yeah, they're easy to lampoon because you're looking for those those moments when they're. They've just driven off the verge. They're, oh God! <laughs> yeah, yeah, you just yeah. That's I love a piece of stand-up of yours that you have called "Don't do drugs, do impressions." Now, how on earth did you come up with that concept? And as a fellow comic, I sit there and I go, "God, I wish I thought of that. I wish I oh, thought nice. of that." Oh, really? So, uh, oh. where did you come up with that idea of the "Don't do drugs, do impressions"? Yeah, I, I well, it's like that's my experience. You know, I don't do drugs; I do impressions. I change my personality 
uh, and turn into George Clooney, for example, uh, all by myself. I just thought it was a good little, you know, interesting gig. So, you know, Woody Allen's another you know, <laughs> wonderful person to to kind of dive into because you know, at least you have time to to figure things out you know in advance and, and go for it was just an idea as a kind of a framework of you know you're always looking for kind of a I don't know just some sort of a a way to utilize these impressions in a condensed form that's why I did the celebrity alphabet and I would come up with these ideas and I'm like, okay. And I put it in front of an audience that goes, okay, that works. So yeah. great. Let's not mess with it. You know, let's just kind of, uh, because for me, the biggest challenge uh, in, in coming up with a live show uh, where you're like on for maybe an hour yeah. uh, uh, is like, okay, well, I've got this skill, but I need to turn it into some sort of message or some sort of presentation or right now I'm trying to work out a, a, a show there's a very talented female uh, impressionist uh, actress named Rosemary Watson. She's American. She's out here. And we became friendly on uh, on a show. We were both flown to New York to do a show called The View for President's Day. And she was she does a great Hillary Clinton, a great Barbara Walters, and a lot of other really terrific impressions. And she's really, really talented. And I like her a lot. So we got to be friends. And I'm like, what do we do with this? You know, it's like, it's a funny sort of skill because... It's not one of these things that people go, I want to consume some impressions. Right <laughs> and yet, and yet there is a way to build something. Anyway, it's, a, it's an interesting job. Plus, you know, the, as you know, the, the people come and go, the personalities come and go, the celebrities come and go They They're in favor. They're out of favor. They're, uh, you know, Robin Williams was one that I used to do all the time. Robin Williams, he sort of represented creativity, thinking outside the box and all that. Then all of a sudden he represented something quite different. So, you know, you want to keep him out of the show for a while until people come back to realizing, oh, what a wonderful, magical character he was. And we should remember him with reverence and, uh, and not be too sad about the way he went out. Love that. I love it. I, I didn't want to interrupt any of that there because I, I adore Robin Williams. He was one of my biggest influences in doing voices. Yeah. Mrs. Doubtfire was the first film that I adored as a child. It was the, it was the only adult film when I was a kid that I was allowed to watch um, because, yeah. it, because it was a, a rate. And, and I wanted to talk about your, your Robin Williams and stuff because uh, you are the voice of the genie for the, for the uh, Aladdin franchise, uh, are you not? Yes, I have been for uh, quite a while, actually, since before he passed. So uh, I have the, you know, the nice distinction of knowing that he, he had to approve it. Yeah. So uh, uh, that was nice. Uh, but um, he's not in, in tremendous amounts of use these days. There are yeah. different kind of projects that come up, usually video games or these other mm -hmm. kind of platform games and stuff where they want to have the blue genie come in. Will Smith didn't completely supplant <laughs> this genie with his yeah. genie. So I'm, you know, glad about that. And it's always, a, it always feels like a, a, a fun challenge and an honor to, especially these days to uh, be able to, to put on my blue skin and <laughs> wiggle around. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. Let's talk about video games for a bit, um, because you okay. were uh, you're in the Lego Lord of the Rings. Is that right? Gosh, I think so. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of these, uh, Cal. You know, a lot of these are going to be ones that I don't. 
yeah, like don't you know. go in for an afternoon somewhere, or, or you do it from from your back room, and you don't remember yeah. what happened the next day. But I think I did definitely do a Lord of the Rings. I didn't know there was a Lego one though, but I never saw it. So yeah, uh, I I don't game myself, so I don't consume my own uh, game performances at all. But it might have been Lego. <laughs> So the majority is the majority of your voiceover work in video games now because I know no, you you no. mentioned uh, KFC you were the, you played the little guy in the TGI Fridays adverts as well. Oh um, God, years and years ago, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that's twenty five years ago or more. Yeah, um, Jib Jab, you know, I've done a lot of stuff with them. Uh, there's a show called Ask the Storybots, which is a delightful show for children that I work on quite regularly. I've done Avatar. I was in Marvel Avengers Assemble as Ultron. I played Ultron a lot, and when I keep defending my title with Ultron, they keep having me come back and do another little game or something, you know. And that's that's fun. Um, but I, I, you know, my the thing I do most is a little bit of everything. So <laughs> right now, I'm I'm going back and forth from Atlanta. I'm working on a as an on camera performer for a new TV show about which I can't really say anything, but. Yeah. Uh, it's a comedy and it's fun and I, I'm uh, gosh, I wish I could say more. I, 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 I'm not to well, let's talk about it in, in front of the camera as, as an on-screen actor. Yeah. Do you ever read scripts and have to, do you overthink what voice you're going to use in that situation? Or do you just say, right, I'm going to use my voice. This is what I'm going to use because you could read a character's bio and, and the background of them. And you go, Oh, that's, that's very Robin Williams. That's very Robert De Niro. And do yeah. you find yourself overthinking what voice you're going to use? Well, I don't think it's overthinking, but I, 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 I know exactly what you, that has happened to me many times. It happened to me not too long ago where I read this character and I was like, oh, this is like a Tommy Lee Jones character. This is the guy who's sort of, a, sort of a policeman down south of the border and he doesn't take a lot of nonsense from people. He's very taciturn. And, uh, and I went in and I thought, you know, should I do this? I, I just feel like that's the guy, you know? And, yeah. and I know that when they see me, they're not going to go, well, you're Tommy Lee Jones or that. And, are they going to go, well, you're doing Tommy Lee Jones. And that's kind of not. <laughs> so I don't know what happened with it. I never got called back, but I, I did feel a little like, maybe I need to play this closer to the vest and not do something that someone might say, are you, who are you imitating? Because I've seen performances like that. I go, why are you? He's like just being Henry Fonda. And it throws me out a little bit. So I think it's best to find something original, make something original. And it's difficult because I have a lot of, uh, I don't know, a lot of things I can do with my voice. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a thing, isn't it? It's, it's definitely a thing. Uh, <laughs> God, I wish I could talk this about this show. There's a, <laughs> it's burning. It's burning. Show. That's what it is. It's killing me because it has everything to do with voice. I work with a dialect coach and it's somebody you would know. But anyway. Oh, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited. I, another show that I can talk about was just got announced. I, I'm in the trailer. So I'm like, okay, well, I guess I can talk about this. Yeah. Is a show called Gaslit. Gaslit. Gaslit, which is about the Watergate time oh, and nice. uh, the uh, attorney general at that time, John Mitchell, and uh, his wife, Martha Mitchell, who were these. Shakespearean kind of characters. Uh, 
and, jo- and Sean Penn is playing John Mitchell and Julia Roberts is playing Martha Mitchell. Wow. And I got to work with both of these people. And I was playing a real guy who had existed, although it was not someone that I was familiar with. And so I researched him and uh, he was a senator from Virginia, but he didn't sound Southern. So I'm like, what's going on? And I researched more. Oh, he was from upstate New York, but he became a senator from Virginia. So he had kind of an interesting amalgam of a accent that was not uh, 100% uh, one way or the other, but it's just a peculiar kind of, and, you know, maybe like, maybe you understand this, but when you hear a voice, you kind of you kind of get a sense of what levers you have to and cables you have to pull inside your neck and head yeah. to replicate that. And it has everything to do with your lips and inside and the palate and the tongue and all these little bits of equipment that we use to produce the sound, like a like an organ or like a trombone or whatever. And and it's interesting. I can kind of feel by listening. I'm, I've done this so long. I listen and I can go, okay, you want to stress this part and you want to put some sound back here and you you move it around. And it's just this weird kind of understanding of, of the mechanics of it. Yeah. It's very odd, isn't so, it? If, if anybody watched the, the workings of an impressionist where, as you say, you're pulling all these levers and you're listening to a voice, but all that's coming out is, oh, that's where I am. That's where I need to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you can, there's all kinds of ways to approach it. I tend to be just very kind of like, be that guy. Let's be that guy as much yeah. as we can. And then if I'm really trying to learn it and really trying to present it, for others, I will listen back mm-hmm. and I'll do a kind of an A, B and go, okay, he sounds like this. I sound like this. Ah, too high pitched. Okay. Or oh, too fast. Or this, I, you know, the distinctions come very apparent when you run them side by each. So that's, uh, that's the best way I know how to do it. And then you can, and then, and you chase it forever. And I know this from my work in uh, my art studies, right? You're painting a still life and you've got the paints and the still life's there. And, just have a ball, you know, keep chasing it. You'll never catch it. Yeah. Yeah. A voice, never, a voice will never be done. Well, it'll never be voice done. Will never be hundred percent. Even, yeah. Even if you're the greatest, this is why I'll often the, uh, the people that are hired to do a celebrity's voice for something like post-production ADR, where they go, you know what? We need to pick up this line again. Tom Hanks said something and it was great but the truck went by or there's a glitch in the tape or something like this oh we can't get tom hanks good let's get his brother and they do that they get the the a blood relative which will at least have this kind of ineffable kind of quality that <laughs> nobody can really duplicate like a blood relative yeah Absolutely. That, that's It's so interesting because I believe Tom Hanks' brother does all the voices for Woody and all the uh, all the marketing work, isn't it? Yeah, he's, he can sound, Jim Hanks can sound just like Tom. Wow. Wow, wow. That's amazing, isn't it? And, and I understand Bruce Willis's brother does a lot of ADR for Bruce Willis because I did a little, I, I, when, when Bruce Willis's brother wasn't available one time, I got the gig. <laughs> You're third on the bill, Jim. You're up there. Third on the bill. <laughs> Third in line. Yeah, never been called again. So I guess <laughs> you were also on the series eight of America's Got Talent. Uh, how did that come about for America's Got Talent? Did they come to you? Did you apply? How did that go about? Yeah, they did. I I was unaware. I mean, I was aware of America's Got Talent, but I thought it was an amateur talent show. Yeah. I, I and I never watched it, so I really didn't know. And I was giving a 
really fun presentation at a conference one time. And this guy came up and said, Hey, I'm a producer for America's Got Talent. Would you like to be on the show? And I said, I don't think so. <laughs> Why would I do that? You know, I'm a working guy. And I said, Oh, no, no. And it's, you know, a lot of stand ups do it. And it, it's just, you know, like any, anyway, he talked me into it. And I went, Oh, okay. Well, oh, all right. It's public relations. I get it. Uh, I, I'm not interested in competing. I'm not interested in winning. I'm interested in being on stage at Radio City Music Hall for yeah. 6,000 people. So I, I agreed to do it. And they, they really kind of, you know, made it made it easy for me. You know, they said, uh, you don't have to come and audition. You can send a video. And I'm like, okay, I'll send you one of these videos. And they went, okay, great. And then finally they said, you know, we do need you to come down to Hollywood uh, this afternoon if you can and, and for for the judges and everything. I went, all right. So <laughs> I came down. And uh, they said, this is what we'd like you to do based on what you've seen, we've seen you do before. I'm like, all right. So, you know, it was nice. It was kind of low stakes for me because I'm like, I don't really care about this very much. <laughs> Which is nice because you don't want to be all like, oh, my goodness, I'm so nervous. I hope I get it. I hope I get it. Yeah. No, this is kind of like, oh, if you want me, that's fine. If you don't, see you later, you know. Yeah. And they sent me to Las Vegas. And, and then it started to get a little more involved, you know. And then they send you to New York. And then you're like, wow, I really want to do a good job. Yeah. And, and it was interesting because, uh, and I probably contractually, uh, you know, bound not to say things like this, but, you know, they, they kind of tell you what to do. Yeah. And you, and you pitch them and you're like, well, here's what I'd like to do. And they go, yeah, no. We, uh, <laughs> so, so I had to kind of create something that they basically wanted me to do. And, and, you know, it went fine. And, and, but it was a thrill to, uh, as a performer to go from, you know, I, I hadn't really performed in a while for more than a couple hundred people. Yeah. And then suddenly 6,000 people and the television audience for whatever, 90 seconds, you know, it's kind of like a sprint. So that was exciting. That was got my heart going. Cause I was like, okay, I have, and right as I'm in the wings, I'm like, talking myself into it i'm like going you want to do this i, I think I, yeah i think i can do it. are you sure because you need to really yeah yeah no no i'm gonna do it and, and and it went well and my mom was there and it was it was fun and you know then they kicked me off the show the next day but but uh yeah it was it was really interesting to see that world and um i don't think i would ever really get involved in something like that ever again and I, it didn't really have a huge effect on my career either, yeah. which, which was a bit of a disappointment. But uh, it's all, you learn stuff from, from these adventures always. And, uh, and I met some nice people, actually. I made some friends uh, of the performers, you know. The production, they were not very pleasant people. But the performers were all really interesting. And there were some very amazing performers that got booted off very early or made to do things that they weren't, you know. Weren't prepared to do uh, stuff, yeah. Because it is the the Got Talent brand is all over the world, but it's just a conveyor belt of people just in yeah. and out and in, isn't it? So it's just like a, right, okay, you're done, off you go, next act, and you go. yeah, and it's and I think um, from what I've watched of, and I was on the British version of uh, of Got Talent, I've got Britain's Got Talent with my friend Alfie, and we did that. And oh, you were. Oh, great. yes. So we had a very similar. Impressions? Yes, impression. So we had a very similar thing in that they came to us, asked us, didn't have to audition. Then we did in front of the judges and all this sort okay. of stuff. And it is just a conveyor belt of people. But I don't think they pay attention to the idea of how a live show would work. So if you look at the live shows in a cabaret setting, you wouldn't put 
uh, a magician on straight before the impressionist followed by a singer. You put a singer in between to break that up. Yeah. Do you know what? But they yeah. don't take that into consideration. What you want yeah. to do is you want to kind of look at it and go, we want everyone to do the very best they can in this situation rather than just chuck them at the wall. There we go. That's the order it is. Done. Yeah. And then there's also the other factor I'm sure you experienced too, where they're like, can you tell us what your story is? Did you ever <laughs> have to sort of, you know, you, you were, were you ever kidnapped or yeah. <laughs> were you raised by blind nuns or something? You know, like, uh, no, I, you know, I had a pretty nice upbringing. I, yeah. I, I, and they were like, well, if you can, if there's any time when you experience great loss and tragedy, I'm like, yeah, not really, you know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, you'll you won't be here tomorrow. That's great. Okay, <laughs> never mind. Yeah. Move along. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. <laughs> Boy, they were like that too. They were like, man, when I was off, I was off. Nobody barely said goodbye. They oh, were just like we were exactly the same. So we had yeah. our equivalent of radio. Radio City Music Hall is the London Palladium, of course. So mm. we did the London mm. Palladium. We were kicked off the show. We were shown the stage door, walked off, and we were just in the middle of London. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> we woke up. Oh, oh, I had this dream. I yeah. thought I was a popular entertainer. Yeah. Oh. No, I'm just a guy right. on the street. <laughs> All right, yeah. okay. That's good. You learn, you learn about life. You Back to the train life. station it is. <laughs> You're now working on your YouTube channel, uh, Jim, that you were saying before. Uh, one of my favorite f- uh, features on your YouTube channel is the fortune cookies. I love the, the wheel spin and the fortune cookie where you each day you read a fortune cookie in a different voice. Where did that idea come from? It came from the notion that my, my daughter and I were like trying to get creative with YouTube and like always, you're always trying to get more, more exposure and more followers and subscribers and whatnot. And we're like, well, and I thought, well, if I did something every day, let's, we've got to try that. And what we're going to, what are we going to do? And then I just thought a fortune cookie. I don't know. And voices get the wheel and we've been doing it now for about four years, I think every day. And, you know, we, we do them in advance and let them sort of roll out. But and now I'm sort of addicted to it. It's really fun. And I've met so many nice people. And, uh, you know, have I gotten tons of followers? Not particularly, but it, it's a good sort of a, a calling card for, you know, I get to express things that I think are interesting or funny or whatever. And I get to try out different voices and, uh, and my daughter and I get to work together. It's just, you know, it's, it's very painless. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm glad you like it. No, it's fantastic. I really, really like it. So uh, what's next for you, Jim? What What are your plans? Well, I have lots of ideas. I'm, uh, you know, things are loosening up here a little bit in Los Angeles. So there's a little more activity. Uh, as I say, I'm in the middle of a show. So I'm traveling back and forth from Atlanta working on that. And uh, I'm trying to put together uh, a live show for when it's safe to do that and when yeah. people can come and when I don't have to wear a mask in front of people. And uh, I'm going to keep writing this impressions thing. I've also uh, been working on an online course. Wow. As so many people are kind of a master class in voices and in just being a working actor in the States and like, how do you do it? Cause I've been doing it for 35 years. Yeah. I've done all kinds of stuff, big blockbuster movies and hit shows and, and little crappy jobs too, but all of it, all of it adding up to, you know, a, a lot of experience. So I'm putting together that course for people and, and then I do audio books and, and things that come along. But um, right now I'm right in the middle of editing a, <laughs> I'm trying to combine 
my uh, early experience with Thundercats yes. as a designer with uh, Colonel Sanders. <laughs> In, so in a, creating a, oh, that only merges it, together in an impressionist's mind. That's the only way. <laughs> exactly. So I'm working on a video, which will be ready probably this weekend, of Thundercats with a little Colonel Sanders flair to it. And it's ridiculous. It just is so I can't believe I'm spending all this time on it. But unfortunately, I can... I can draw, and I'm, I've got a new iPad, and so I'm like, all right, how many how many drawings could this take? <laughs> 30, 30 drawings. I'm like, oh, my God. But luckily, I'm very fortunate. I've been able to indulge all these silly ideas and, uh, and be a creative person, you know, for many, many years. And, and now I'm very um, set in my ways and confident about the fact that if I get a little idea and it interests me enough to kind of ponder about and kind of play with, then it's going to have some value to somebody. And it may lead to something really interesting. Uh, it may go nowhere. But, uh, but the flow of ideas that I like to foster and I like to indulge has, you know, and I, I don't consider myself this great creative soul, but I, 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 when I have something that I think is kind of fun or funny, I don't stop it. I try to get it out. I try to, and I don't try to coddle it too much either or hold it back or polish it. Let's get it out. Let's see what people think. And I get a lot out of it because I learned something just like you learn from any art form and, and I meet people and things happen. Yeah. And uh, like I, I can now obliquely talk about this show that I'm on and just enough to say that there is a part of this character that I'm playing uh, involves the fact that he he fancies himself to be a rather handsome, almost like a model. You know, he's got physically fit, you know. So I auditioned for it. And I didn't really know that that was part of it, but it was sort of or an important part of it. But uh, I auditioned and I got the job. And then they said, now, you don't have to be like real, real ripped or anything like that. But uh, but if you could go to the gym and maybe work out a little bit, it'd be great. And I went, oh, this is an opportunity. So they said, we will we'll actually pay for you to have a trainer. I went, Oh, this is, this is going to be really interesting. So I started physically training and working out intensely with a guy who is a Hollywood body sculpting kind of guy who like trains movie stars and athletes. And it is something I have never done in my life, but I've been going early in the morning <laughs> getting all with the weights and having a great time. And it's changed my whole deal you know in a way that had never happened before and my wife is very happy and it's it has many benefits but, <laughs> but this is something that i didn't foresee and it only happened because i happened to do well at an audition and this is like something that they would also like yeah so you never know where this is all going so i you know i don't know i'm just trying to ride it and and keep keep on top of it and keep having fun one way or another that's amazing amazing before i ask you my final question i do want to ask you what's your favorite in impersonation to do yeah it's a question i get asked a lot and absolutely I, I, uh, it really varies because it's like it's a method of communicating it's a personality a persona right so uh i'm not in love with one particular one so much i like to be able to all my life i've i've tried to have the freedom of expressing myself Anyway, I wanted to, right? So uh, if I wanted to say something like uh, George W. Bush, I don't have to ask permission. 
And so whatever I, you know, whatever I want to express or whoever I want to be like, I can be like that person, you know? So, so I have the favorites change every day. And really it's um, like, for example, I watch, um, I'm watching Get Back with my wife and you know, watching support when he was a young man. And, and now, of course, he sounds like this. He sounds a little bit older, you know, but. Um, it's great after I watch a little bit of support. I like to say, well, Tamara, what do you think? Should we go to bed? <laughs> Jim, my final question for you, my friend, is who would you like to see on this podcast? Oh, well, you should uh, you should talk to Rosemary Watson. She's really terrific. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll put you guys together. She's, uh, you know, there are fewer female impressionists. I know some great ones. Christina Bianco. I don't know if you know. I'm saying Bianco in the British way. Bianco is how we say in California. Christina uh, Bianco. And uh, she's great. Also, uh, Dana De Lorenzo is terrific. And uh, Melissa Villasenor, of course, is great. But... Um, little known person is Rosemary Watson. I think she's really, really talented, and um, she does your queen actually. Does and, she? Um, quite Her Majesty. Quite well. <laughs> Her Majesty. Well, she does the queen. Yeah. So, <laughs> Rosemary Watson is on my list, <laughs> yeah. Jim. Jim, Good. thank you so much for doing the podcast. I really appreciate it. Have a great rest of your day, my friend. Thanks, Cal. Appreciate it. Cheers. The Cal Halbert Podcast. You've been listening to a Calvert Media production.